Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. Well, I want to continue on in our series we're doing in the book of Philippians called Indestructible Joy. This is part three today. And uh, the big question we've been asking is, are Christians known for their joy? Is that one of the outstanding qualities of a Christian that you um, see in those around you and that you see in your own self? Because I believe we're to have a joy that no matter what happens in your life, you continue to trust and praise God knowing that God in no circumstance has the final word over you. This is how the Apostle Paul lived, and this is how he encourages us to live. This was tested for me on this Africa trip. When we got to Mabujimai, we pulled up to the place that we were going to stay. None of us on the trip knew what that place was going to be like. And um, those of us who are from the first world, we have our little first world challenges. And uh, if you haven't been to the third world, you don't even know the challenges of living life in the third world. But we went into this little house that we were going to stay in And one of the things I quickly realized is there was no running water. That poses some problems when you're going to be there for four days. So suddenly I'm pulled back to my past because in the early days when Tracy and I did mission trips, most of the time we had no idea where we were staying And most of the time, we had no idea what it would require of us. So suddenly, I'm I'm catapulted back to the past. Haven't chose these type of places in a long time because I like to keep a healthy and a strong team. But this is the, the hand we were dealt with. So I'm like, guys, there's no running water. And they said, oh, don't worry, because we got a big garbage can full of water and we got two little buckets and you get to get a bucket of cold water over your head every day and you get to shower off just like that and uh, when you go to the bathroom you get to dump a bucket of cold water into the toilet and uh, not only that by the way it's 93 degrees outside And this house is a concrete block house. And your room has no air conditioning and no fan. So when you go to bed at night, guess what? And it's been a little while since I've done this. You get to sweat yourself to sleep. And uh, sometime in the middle of the night, you will wake up and you are in a pool of your own sweat. Nothing quite like it. And your pillow is drenched, your sheets are drenched, your bed's drenched. And you get up that next morning, 
And uh, because there's no air movement in that room whatsoever, when you come back that next night, guess what? Your pillow's still drenched. Your sheets are still drenched. <laughs> and you get to lay down in last night's sweat. And uh, just first world challenges, stuff we're not accustomed to. But we are to be people who are known for our joy, even in the midst of circumstances that test us, that try us, that challenge us. Let's just face it, guys. We like our comforts, don't we? And we're pretty doggone accustomed to them. Well, I want you to remember this about the book of Philippians. If you miss the fact that Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians from jail, he's awaiting judgment and possible execution, which did happen. You miss a really important part of this book. Today we're going we're gonna to pick it up in Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, and we're going to talk about the incredible theme of love, how you love people, and at the same time stand for truth. And this, to me, is a really relevant message for us today because we're living in a day and a time where truth is being challenged and love is being questioned and I really hope that, uh, that you'll get what I have on my heart to share with you today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Would you, would you look and follow along as I read it this morning? And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Lord, your word is truth. May we never, never compromise your word. May we stand on it as our source and our foundation of truth, regardless of the consequences that may come our way. Lord, speak your truth to us today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Love, the kind of love Paul's talking about here is the word agape. You're familiar with that word agape. It's of all the Greek forms of love, it's the highest form of love. You might say it's an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice. It's an exercise of God's will in deliberate choice, not because of the excellency of its object. It's not because of us, it's because of him God's love, if you will, is an, it's an act of his will, and it's rooted in his very nature as God, not due to the excellence of the recipient. God chooses to bestow his love on humanity because it's who he is, and not because of what we deserve. And we, as God's people, are called to love others just like this. So how important is love in the life of the believer? 
Well, if you're any student of God's word at all, you know that love is the hinge point. Love is the foundation. Love is incredibly important. In Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus is asked the question, he's, you know, what's the greatest commandments? He says, all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this, in loving God, and then secondly, loving people, loving others. John 13, 35, Jesus says that we're to be known by our love. Galatians 5, 22, in that list of the fruit of the Spirit, love, love is the fruit of God's Spirit abiding, residing, living within us. 1 John 4, 8, the Apostle John, who was known as the Apostle of Love, says, if you don't love your brother who you can see, how can you love God? Love's so important that Paul prays over this very near and dear Philippian church that they would abound more and more. The, the word abound literally means in the Greek superabound, superabound in love, that there'd just be like this perpetual flood of love that would come over the Philippian believers, an overflowing, if you will, of God's love that, that just comes up through them, through the power of God's spirit, like that living waters coming out. But wait for it, because here's a really important part of the equation. In knowledge and in full discernment. In knowledge and in full discernment. In fact, let's just go back just a couple slides. I just want you to see this this morning and get it in your hearts. This I pray that your love might superabound more and more in, in what? This is important. In knowledge and all discernment. Say it with me. Say it with me. In knowledge and all discernment. This, this is huge for today. This is huge for us as a church who longs to be biblically faithful, honoring and pleasing to God above all else, not held captive by our culture, not washed away with the stream of this culture that we live in. We're to be people of love, absolutely overflowing with love, but that love from God is a love that's based in a knowledge of God's will, God's ways, and God's word, and it's a love that is full of discernment. How many of you can say amen to this? Do you see it? Am I preaching to the right crowd today? You look more quiet than the Africans I've been preaching to. All right, let's unpack it a little more. So, our love for people is to be rooted in full discernment and understanding of the ways of God, the will of God, and the word of God. All discernment would mean this. With all judgment but not condemnation, 
with true biblical insight and understanding so that you and I as lovers of God and lovers of people are able to approve, test, and judge the things in this earth that are excellent, valuable, godly, holy, and righteous. Then we can live sincere, pure, unspoiled lives that are without offense, not stumbling in darkness ourselves or causing others to stumble in darkness. I've really been praying about what examples to use this morning. I'm going to go back in history just a little bit. At his Viper Room appearance in July of 2012, Rob Bell. Anybody recognize that name? Remember that name? Rob Bell? I saw Rob Bell at least once at a conference that I attended. I was wowed by him. He was a phenomenal communicator. He brought forth some truth from the Old Testament that was something new that I'd never heard before and that was powerful. And many, many, many people back in that day and time, that era, Rob Bell had one of the largest churches in America. It was called Mars Hill in Michigan. Rob Bell was writing lots of books. Rob Bell was incredibly popular, being invited to all these, all these church seminars. But in July of 2012, Rob Bell took a question from an audience member concerned about the church's acceptance of gay members. Rob Bell said, well, some people are gay, and you're our brothers, and you're our sisters, and we love you. We love you. We, we love gay people. Gay people are passionate disciples of Jesus, just like I'm trying to be. So let's all get together and try to do something about the truly big problems in our world. On March 17, 2013, in an interview at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, Rob Bell said, well, I'm for marriage, and I'm for fidelity. I'm for love, whether it's a man and a woman, a woman and a woman, a man and a man. And uh, honestly, I think that ship has sailed. And that this is the world we are living in, and we need to affirm people wherever they are. In March of 2013, Bell expressed frustration with the state of the conservative evangelical church, calling it a very narrow, politically intertwined, culturally ghettoized evangelical subculture. He said that evangelicals have turned away lots of people from the church by talking about God in ways that don't actually shape people into more loving, compassionate people adding that evangelicals have supported policies and ways of viewing the world that are actually destructive. And we've done it in the name of God, and we need to repent of it. 2018, there was a documentary made about Rob Bell called The Heretic. In the name of love, Rob Bell basically threw out biblical faithfulness, biblical truth in the name of love. 
basically saying that if we're really going to be people of love, we're going to accept everybody where they are, regardless of what they do, regardless of what they practice. I hesitated this morning to use another example, more current, because in all honesty, I still want to walk it out and see for certain whether or not the accusations are true. But some of you have probably seen over the last uh, few weeks some very concerning statements in regard to Andy Stanley. I have great respect for Andy Stanley, have been to his church and uh, consider him one of the best Bible teachers out there. But Al Mohler just wrote an article called The Train Has Left the Station. I'm not going to go so far as to declare where Andy Stanley does or doesn't stand on some really important issues, but there are those that feel that he has left biblical faithfulness for this concept of a all-embracing love. God's love is not sloppy agape. Where every behavior is accepted, affirmed, and celebrated in the name of love. This is where many believers are suffering shipwreck today, and there's tons of other examples. And in all honesty, I think there will be more. As the pressure gets greater, you're going to see a lot of people who have opinions but not convictions. One of the things I was struck with in Africa was the stories that some of my brothers from parts of northern Africa, lurching up into northern Africa, were telling me about Christians who end up compromising their faith because of the Muslim allurement and money and opportunity and persecution if you follow the ways of Christ and ease of life if you simply recant your faith and move over into a Muslim confession. We're living in a really interesting day and time where it's going to get more and more difficult, I do believe, to stand on biblical faithfulness on what the Bible clearly says and clearly teaches. You're going to hear all kinds of different interpretations coming your way, trying to convince you that what the Bible has said clearly and what church history has taught and believed clearly for thousands of years was incorrect. So this is where many believers are suffering shipwreck today, accepting, affirming, and celebrating people's sinful behavior in the name of love. It's wrong, it's damaging, and it's deceptive. It's wrong, it's damaging, and it's deceptive. 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter known as the chapter of love. What's it say? It's very interesting when you start thinking of it in the light of what we're dealing with here this morning, these big issues that are coming into incredible conflict. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, love does not rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't 
it doesn't rejoice in sin. It doesn't rejoice in sinful behavior. It doesn't rejoice in sinful patterns or sinful lifestyle choices. But what's it rejoice in? The truth. You, you really can't have love without discernment. Love without knowledge of God's will, God's ways, God's word. Society and church rejoicing and approving of things in the name of love that are not excellent and pure, that are sinful and shameful is wrong and it's damaging and it's destructive and it's leaving behind the clearly articulated truth of Scripture. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32 Tough passage, but scriptural truth, right? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind or way of thinking to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil thing, things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. They not only do the same, but listen to this, but also approve of those who practice them. They approve of those who practice these things. Love, the love you and I are to have, the love you and I are to walk in, the love that you and I are to be known for, it needs to overflow. God's people are to be known by their their love, a kind love, a compassionate love, a gentle love but a love rooted in truth, not void of truth. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So where can we find in all of Scripture an example of this kind of love that we're trying to articulate this morning? I, I think you need to look to Jesus and no further. I think Jesus gives us such a powerful example of this love. John chapter 8. You can turn there if you'd like. Let's look to Jesus. I'm not going to actually read the whole story. I'm just going to kind of remind you a little bit of the story. It's very interesting. It's a woman caught in adultery. That must have been awkward, right? Let's just face it. Somebody walked in, caught, found this woman in the midst of an adulterous act. How many of you think there probably had to be somebody else in the room? <laughs> Pretty clear, right? Let me ask a question here this morning. Maybe this will be a little controversial, but maybe it'll also be a little enlightening. Must have been a guy in the room, right? What happened to him? Could it have been that he might have been a Pharisee? Might he have been a Pharisee? Why was he let off the hook? 
He might have been one of the very ones standing there that day with the stones waiting to stone her. We see, we see Jesus down in the sand right there with the woman. We see him really between the woman and her accusers. Her accusers, by the way, can I just describe them this way? I'm just going to cut to the chase. They're mean-spirited, religious people who are void of love and compassion. And what do they desire? Very clear from what they say to Jesus and to the woman. They desire condemnation and death for sinners. Not conversion and life. In their, in their mind, this is a done deal and there's a clear expectation. The guy gets off scot-free, whoever he was. But the woman is going to pay the price ultimately. Let me just say it this way, folks. Sometimes the scariest place for sinners to be is in the presence of people who claim to know God but have no love for people. Man, that was a lot better than you amened on that one. I'm going to say it again because I, I think it's worthy of saying again. Sometimes the scariest place, I was a sinner. I don't know about you. I'm not here in this message in any way, shape, or form to make light of my sin. I still grieve over my sin. I still sin. I'm not proud of it. I don't like it. And I'm thankful that Jesus has paid the price for it. But I haven't forgotten how wicked and nasty and dastardly and horrible my sin is. I'm not making light of my sin in any way, shape, or form, and neither am I forgetting it. I'm thankful that the Lord brought me to the place that I saw what my sin cost, and that was Jesus' life himself. He paid the price for my sin. He paid a price I couldn't pay. Sometimes the scariest place for sinners to be is in the presence of people who claim to know God but have no love for people. Not understanding your own sin disqualifies you from condemning other people. Do you know that? Let me put it this way. Don't be a mean-spirited religious person void of love and compassion desiring the condemnation and death of sinners. That's so not Jesus. Thank you, honey. I'll buy you more nice clothes later today. (laughs) Come on, can you say amen to that? Do you agree with that, church? Only this side. I don't, I've still got to convince this side over here. It's so not Jesus. What does love say and how does love act toward the sinner? Jesus says um, to her, uh, I'm not condemning you. I'm not here. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here to condemn you. 
And I'm not going to tell you that you're worthless. And I'm not going to make you feel hopeless. And you are certainly not useless. In fact, even though you've sinned like every single other person on the face of this earth, you're worthy of my blood. I want to give you a hope and a future. And I want to use you because I only use messed up people. Jesus says to her in the little communication and dialogue that she's loved, that there's hope for her, that she's valuable to God, even in her current condition. Romans 5.8 says it this way, and it's a pretty powerful scripture. If you don't know it, you should, but... It, it basically, God initiates and demonstrates his love toward us while we're yet sinners. While we're yet sinners. And guess what? That's 100% of us. There's no exceptions to that. Ephesians 2 says that God's great mercy and God's great love gave us life while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins. He saved us by his grace. Jesus looks at this little lady laying in the dust in her lost condition, and he loves her. He initiates relationship with her. He communicates with her. He gives her hope of conversion and salvation. He is love overflowing. And it's a love with knowledge and discernment. Because what does he say? Now, go and sin no more. What you're doing, what you've been caught doing, was sinful. It's contrary to the will and the ways in the word of God. But love compassionately and courageously calls sin, sin. In hopes of conviction and conversion, not condemnation. Love loves you where you are, where you're at in your sin, but loves you too much to affirm you staying there. Go, go now. I don't condemn you. Where's your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go now and sin no more. It's just one of the most powerful pictures. Love loves you where you're at in your sin, but loves you too much to affirm you staying there. Love empowers us, folks, to a changed life not to be dominated by sinful actions anymore. See, Jesus can tell her to sin no more because he gives the grace and the power to overcome sin. Amen? Come on. Give the Lord praise. Love calls us to walk victoriously in the light, not stumble 
in the darkness. When we follow Jesus, we don't walk in darkness. We now have the light of life. Jesus lovingly and compassionately invites everyone, regardless of their particular sins. Oh man, it's easy, and the church has done this so horribly. We've picked out certain sins and elevated them above others, but I'm telling you, every time you see a list of sins, there's at least a few on there that I've sure struggled with. We need to be careful about elevating particular sins, highlighting particular sins. Jesus lovingly and compassionately invites everyone, regardless of their particular sins, to come into a loving, powerful, saving relationship with him where you become a new creation, where old is gone and all things have become new. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor... Wait a minute, I'm reading from a different version here. Do you, do you, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin... So... In King James, it's fornicators, right? It's where he leads the list. He's not trying to put one sin over another. Sin is sin, right? Sin breaks relationship with God, regardless of whether it's heterosexual sin or homosexual sin, right? Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves, greedy people, ooh, that one hurt, drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But boy, look at this. Some of you were once like that. You're right. But you were cleansed. You were made holy and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus says, don't be deceived. The only reason you're different is because God has empowered you by his grace to live differently. There's hope absolute hope for every type of sinful person. Amen? So bottom line as we close today, let's superabound with, with overflowing love that's rooted in knowledge and discernment for everyone because there's love and hope for every person. Amen? Amen. Do you bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Your word lays it out so powerfully for us. Lord, may we be people who truly do live by biblical conviction and who refuse to compromise in the face of a society gone mad, who will stand by the truth and love with overflowing, superabundant love with discernment and knowledge of the will and the ways and the word of God. Help us, God. It's, it's a... It's a tricky tension to balance 
but help us, God. Because, Lord, we want to see so deeply, so passionately, others come to the knowledge of you, just like we, in our sinful state, came to the knowledge of you and experienced the new life that you so freely gave. God, help us to be people known for our superabundant, overflowing love with knowledge and discernment in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Would you stand with me today? Can you give the Lord praise this morning for his word? His word's good, amen? The Lord go with us. Let your face shine upon us and your light shine through us. Send us into this world, Lord, as your ministers and missionaries to make a difference this week in Jesus' name, amen.